Welcome to Loving the Christ Life. I'm Brad Wilson. This program is produced weekly by the Christ Life Fellowship. Join us at christ-life.org on our website. The Christ Life, it's a wonderful journey to be on, and it is life-changing. Check us out, christ-life.org. We're into a wonderful teaching session from Warren Litzman on the seed. This is part two coming up. Let's get right into it. Here's Warren. A few days ago, I got to thinking about the seed. We have one message that we've talked about on the seed here lately. And in this message, I thought, what would be the different things, the practical things that the seed in us bring about. Thoughts that would strike our mind. For you understand, it's whatever you give a mind to that's going to make the difference. You want to always remember the Christ in you is mindless. When you receive Christ's spirit as your life, it was mindless. He has no mind of his own. He's come to take your mind. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Our problem as Christians is we still have the mind of the corruptible seed. Still trying to change things, make them better. Now we must give a mind to the new seed, to the incorruptible seed. That's where the scriptures come in. This is why I encourage you, until you really get a hold of this, you need to live in the first three or four chapters of every one of Paul's epistles and John. You need to live in both of those fellows because they saw Christ clearer than anybody else. And you need to, you need to live in their, those chapters. We call them life chapters because those are the chapters where, where you come to, to know what's in the seed, who, who, who you are by Christ in you. I had a preacher here not long ago to say, listen, you never preach much from the last chapters of the epistle because that's where it tells us we have authority and power and we're preachers and we're, we're prophets and we're this and that. I said, don't do any good to go into that, just like it was with Paul till they find out who they are. Because we've got a whole lot of people running around now who are prophets and apostles who, who I don't think I want to follow. But I would like for them to preach Christ instead of minister. Well, that's where you need to live. Live in those first few chapters, because here, in every one of Paul's epistles, in all, in all of his writings except Romans, the first three or four chapters, give us the Christ life. He spells it out. He tells us who we are in Christ. The last chapters tell us how to govern this life. But it's those first chapters where we receive this life. In Romans, it's 5, 6, 7, and 8, rather than the first three or four chapters. What's in the seed? I'm going to give you seven things for you to think about, for you to get in your mind, so that you can have some feeling about what's in this seed that's in you so that you'll have feeling as to how to live, so forth. What's really in the seed? Point number one. The seed that is in us is deeply hurt and brings hurt to our whole being when we have offended God by sin or by ignorance. Now, that's a long statement. What I'm saying is that the seed within you, Christ in you, is offended by sin. And the things of the world that are contrary 
to who you are in Christ. The reason I think the Spirit has dealt with me on this is that I'm getting more and more feeling in this raunchy world that we're living in that all of us are being forced to take. Whether we like it or not, we have to take it. And there's some things I just can't take without hurt in my heart. We're going to have to accept in our generation abortion. They won't do away with it. We're going to have to accept homosexuality. It's going to be a part of the new world. We're going to have to accept people who do not take responsibility in life. That's a big issue now. Everywhere I turn, court trials and justice system and everything is showing that nobody's going to be forced to take responsibility. Kids don't take responsibility. I just read coming over here today about uh, a lady who, she was a judge, got tied up somehow and uh, there was a criminal element in the jury. Uh, indicted her, or she was condemned and had spent 12 years in prison. And there were murderers that had been in her court that were out in three and four years. That's what I mean by the lack of responsibility in our, nobody wants to take true responsibility for their actions or what goes on in it. That's the new world. But my thought is, Am I going to become so familiar with it and see it so acceptable in my world, radio accepted, television accepted, the newspapers accepted, everything that's contrary to the way I believe? Am I going to get that way? The Holy Spirit said to me one day, the seed would be your source of life will always be hurt by these things. Then I was reminded of Jesus looking over Jerusalem one day and he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I gathered you under my wing like a hen gathers her chicks that you wouldn't live. He was burdened. Scripture said Jesus wept. I'm not going to accept all these things going on in my world. I may not can do a lot about them. But that seed within me keeps me broken and contrite. Bird. I can't take all the things that I have. Kids in rebellion against parents these days. Back by the law. Divorce. Over 50% now. I read the other day a statement from the federal government said it was over 50% divorces now in comparison to marriage. Am I going to accept it or is there something within me that is broken, constant, hurt? I tell you, it's easy to get to where you put up with things. I'm not telling you what to do about them. I don't know what you can do about most things. But you ought to be broken in heart that they go on. I was raised in Waco, Texas. And Waco, Texas is a strong Baptist city. Probably the strongest in the state of Texas. Called Baylor University, their largest 
that the school is there. So we never had trouble in moral elections in Waco. Anytime a moral election come up, the Baptists would sway it right off. And so everybody that was a politician knew that if they weren't on the Baptist side, you'd never get anything passed in Waco. I grew up in Waco with no liquor joints. There were no honky-tonks. Because they kept everything from beer to liquor boated down. And then I moved to Dallas. And I never will forget my feeling one day as I drove down the streets of Dallas. It dawned on me, there's a liquor store. I haven't seen liquor stores in my city before. There's a honky-tonk. And one after another, I saw them. And I felt very strange. And I thought, this is so strange. I'm not used to living in a place where this takes place. And I was thinking the other day, that's been a good 30 years ago or more. I was thinking the other day, I've gotten so used to liquor stores, man. They're landmarks. Fella says, how you get that? So you go down here, and there's a honky-tonk, go right, and there's a liquor store, go left. <clears throat> it's a part of the landscape. I've gotten used to it. I put up with it. And the Holy Spirit said, the seed in you never puts up with what you believe to be seen. He's confident. He's got that seed in you. Parents today are having to make ominous decisions. Because they're seeing their very lifeblood do things they never dreamt they'd have to accept. You're going to have to accept things in your children because you love them. But you never dreamed would be accepted. But the seed within you is still going to be grieved. If that seed has a license to operate in, if that seed is your life, you're going to go to bed at night weeping. You're going to pray more to God about the situation. Because the seed will let you see. That's Christ in you. That seed is working in you. The circumstances is bringing forth its life. Point number two. The seed within you is always striving against the flesh. This germ that's in this lobe is always crying to break through, to get out. I'm going to tell you about a voice you may not listen to anymore, but it's the voice of the Spirit of Christ in you, and it cries out, Turn me loose. Let me be free. Let me go. It's within you, crying out. You've got that seed in you, but you have it encapsulated and corked and bottled. You won't let it out. You're hesitant to let it out. For whatever reason. Mostly religious reasons, I think. But that seed within you is constantly warring against the flesh. Wanting to get free. Wanting to come out of it. Think about that. I've got a new term in my vocabulary. Uh, it's the word contrary. Contrary. What I'm seeing in life these days are contrary things. 
For instance, abortion is a contrary thing. It's contrary to life. Because if there was nothing but abortion, there'd be no more life. So it's contrary to life. Natural life. Homosexuality is contrary to natural life. If everything was, ever everybody was homosexual, which is what they'd like to see, it would be contrary to life. There'd be no more natural life. Only in humans do we have this thing that's contrary. You understand that? Only in humans do we have contrary things to life. Dogs don't have it. Cats don't have it. Horses don't have it. Bugs don't have it. They do exactly what it is they're supposed to do. And believe it or not, everything else in God's kingdom finally reverts to its basic nature. God fixed it like that. I got dogs. I can train those dogs any way I want to, but I know one thing. If that dog ever gets in a fix, he's going to revert to his basic nature. I got a dog that's the sweetest dog you ever saw. He's a big dog. I mean a big dog. And then I got a little little thing about like that. And they're both males and they hate each other. Both of them are so loving and kind. When I let the big dog loose, he stays right to my side, up against my pants leg. He will not let me walk across the yard where it's not up against me. That little dog follows me into my office. He's a house dog. He follows me everywhere I go. The most loving little thing you ever saw. But if those two dogs get together, they reverse. My little dog has it in his mind. He can tear up that big dog. I've had to take him to the vet to get him stitched up a couple times already. So I'm smart enough now to not let them get to each other. But they reverse. That's their nature. That's in their nature. We have a new nature in us. Christ in us. The God nature. Partakers of his nature. But because we've got a mind of our own, we don't automatically revert to that nature. Not automatically. You're not going to be what Christ is in you unless you hunger and thirst to know because you're not going to revert. You may revert back to your old sin nature, but you're not going to automatically revert to the God nature that's in you. And so, the striving against the flesh is the battle. The battle is between our mind and our flesh. We give this mind to the Christ that is in us. Point number three. The seed within us draws us constantly to the grace of God. Now I have to I have to confess something to you that's a belief of mine, and that is the average spirit filled believer, the average Pentecostal and charismatic and holiness believer, knows so little about the grace of God that they have kept a biblical definition from themselves and others on the subject. The seed within me is there by the grace of God. You see, God could have changed me. 
he had the power when I was converted to take a bad person and make me good. He had the power to take a weak person and make me strong. He had the power to take a hell-bound person and make me heaven-bound. He could have done that. He had the power. And that's what much of religion says happened. But that isn't what happened. What he did, he left me the same as I was, and he put another person in me. And he said, now, grow up in this person. Take on the image and likeness of this person. That was different. That's what religion kept from me. The religion kept telling me to be good, do right. And that wasn't God's intention. God didn't want me good. He didn't want me to stop doing wrong. What? Well, it's uh, what? Uh, Galatians 6 and 14, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails. Then what avails? If doing good and not doing evil doesn't avail, what avails? The new creation. The new creation. So I spent much of my life trying to be good. Come to find out that wasn't impressive to the Father. What was good to him was the new creation, the life that he had put within me. That was the grace of God. I don't have to worry about changing my old life. People set in meeting after meeting with thoughts going through their mind. How can I change my way of living? How can I be better? When God has already put perfection in them. Perfection in them. Now they need to learn of him. And grow up in him. And what happened? The old things pass away, and behold, all things become new. That's his promise. That's the grace of God. The grace of God is not me trying to change myself. It's me growing up into him. I no longer live. I no longer live. I'm crucified with Christ. But I am alive because he's in me. I give up trying to better myself and take on him. Point number four. Loving the believers. The seed within me loves the believers. For a long time when I came into these truths, as many of you recall, I was very hard on other believers. I've modified that considerably. I think of Jesus. He said, on one occasion, that we're to love our enemies. always wondered about that. I figured at one point that was Jesus saying that you ought to love wicked and the ungodly, love their souls, their enemies to God. But I come to discover something that happened to Jesus that prompted him to say that. He didn't say that because of the people out in the world. He said that because his own enemies was his brother. They were, his, they were the enemies. He came to his own. His own received him not. And he said, love your enemy. And then I got to thinking about the hardest people I have to love, not the man that runs the honky-tonk or distributes pornography. The hardest people to love are God's children. Oh, they're one pain in the neck because I'm locked in with them. <laughs> I got to put up with them. Of your enemies. I don't have any enemies at a honky-tonk. 
I don't have any enemies on television. The only enemies I have are in the house of God. Jesus said to love them. Well, I'm right out telling you now. I tried to love them for a long time. I couldn't do it. But the seed that is in me loves the brother. John said, whosoever is birth of God loves the brother. And I love them. I get angry at Christians. I don't get angry with the world like I do Christian. That may be a fault of mine. Um, that's still arbitrary. I don't know whether it's a fault or whether that's the way God made it. Or he may find out one day. But I get angry with religion and with God's children. My greatest point of anger is first over me that I could have preached for so many years and not preached the whole truth. My second point of anger is that I know brethren who know this truth and won't preach it because the cost is too great. I'm angry over that. I'm angry over the fact that these scriptures are clear and if they're rightfully divided, men are going to see Christ as their life. And religion won't have to preach. The preacher said to me not long ago, i got to preach the whole of the scriptures. I said the whole of the scriptures are not talking to them. It's those things that have to do with Christ that's talking to the people. The rest of it's moral. We need morals, God knows. But there's no life in morals. There's no life in morality. The life, once again, is in the sun. I get angry. But I have to burn. That's why we sing the little song when we close out, I see Jesus in you. Because that's what helped me. Because my enemies are saved too, probably going to go to heaven. So I got to see Jesus in them. And when I start seeing Jesus in them, I automatically say, I couldn't do that if Jesus wasn't in me. I couldn't see Jesus in you if Jesus wasn't in me. It isn't in me like you. But if I see Christ in you, then I see Christ in me greater. That's where love comes about. To see. That's in the seed. The seed that's in the love. I don't make that work good all the time, but that's the way it is. Number five, in the seed is godly communication. Did you know you could be prayerful 24 hours a day? Did you ever read that scripture? I believe it's in the second. It's in Thessalonians where Paul said, pray without ceasing. You know what the Greek says about that? It says, never stop praying. Now, some people think that's when you bless the food, you pray without ceasing. Or some people, when they pray in church, pray without ceasing. Just long prayer, publican-type prayer. But that isn't what it means. It means never stop praying. So you have to figure out how that works. Long ago, I was studying John 17, and the Holy Spirit held me up at that verse where Jesus said, Father, I pray that they will be one with me as I am with you. One, one, one. And I thought, well, if I ever got one with Jesus, I would be in a perfect trinity, one with the Father. And then our important word was coined. That's no separation. 
no separation. What do we mean by separation? Separation. That's a, that's the greatest force Satan uses against the person going on with God. He keeps them separated in spirit by them being one, Christ being another. Jesus said, when you become one with me, we become non-separated from the Father. Perfect. Relationship. Perfect. Well, if that's the case, then everything I do in a non-separated state from Jesus is a non-separated state from the Father. Think about that. This is not to do away with the prayer closet, not getting along and praying and, and having burdens to come upon us, our intercessory prayer. This is talking about our daily living by the seed that is in it. Did you know that I ought to so talk that every word I say would be a non-separated word from the Father and the Son with whom I'm one? Every business deal, even when I get mad at the cat, I correct my words because they are as it were prayers. I'm in communication with the Father. I'm in a non-separated state from my heavenly Father. That's why you have these scriptures along the way. It says, uh, be careful of your words. Uh, whatsoever things are true and honest and good report, think on these things. Why? There is the possibility you can live in a non-separated state. I don't care if you work in a hellhole. I don't care if you're where the devil exists. You can be in a non-separated state from the Lord. When your true identity takes hold, then you think, I'm one with Christ. We're one. He's one with the Father. So we're a holy trinity of sorts. Non-separated. Where's your worship come in? When you when you come into this oneness, because the seed within you is so vibrantly alive, what is your worship? Your worship is your labor. Your daily labor is your worship. Think about it. I had a couple of school teachers came up to me last night, and she said, I've got some little heathens in my class. She said, I spend most of my time correcting these children. And she said, to be honest, I'm not making any headway. I said, maybe you're looking at your task of school teaching wrong. You're born again. I said, do you realize that that classroom is your pulpit as God's servant? Those students are congregation. You don't go there to teach every day. You go there to minister. And your ministry is an act of worship when you teach. I said, what you need to keep in mind is that when you correct, and kids need to be correct, you do it as a Christ person. You take on a different flavor in the way you're handling it. You don't handle it as a teacher that can't teach the lesson. You handle it as a ministry. I'm a seed been planted in this classroom. I see. She said, I never thought of it. I said, that's what you are. I said, it. she said, I've been thinking about leaving. I said, you don't want to leave unless you know it's God's will. She said, but I hate that place. 
I said, you don't want to leave unless you know it's God's will. I said, in his will, he can put you in another place. But I said, remember this. You're the only Jesus that is alive for those kids. And what they get out of you is the only Jesus. I said, turn it into a ministry. It's your worship. My worship is standing here talking to you. Your worship is opening up your store. That's your pulpit. Even if you don't like it. Sometimes I don't like what I do. But that's my worship. God. That's where I let Jesus come forth. That's where I share it. You said as a typewriter and type. That's your pulpit. That's where you worship. You're God's missionary. You're a housewife cleaning up the house. That's your ministry. That's where you operate. That's where it ought to be Christ alive in you. The seed in you cries for that. It begs for that. Because that's your place of service. That's your ministry. The only place the world ever sees Jesus in you is in your book. Whatever you do, you're in a non-separated state. From the Father and the Son. You get in a fuss with your husband or wife. Remember that. You're in a non-separated state. Point number six. I'm getting on down there. We'll be through shortly. I'm looking for the coming of the Lord. A fellow said to me the other day, You believe we're living in the last days? I said, Probably. I said, I like to put it like this. I think I'm living in the last day. I said, I look for Jesus to come every day. You know something about the early New Testament church? The Apostle Paul taught that the Lord was coming in his day. He taught that. Nowadays, we're so mixed up in the dividing of the scriptures, rightfully dividing of the scriptures, that most people don't really know when the Lord's coming. They quit looking for it. But I have enough admonition in the scripture to say to look for him daily. Look for his appearing. So a lady said to me, you believe we're living the last days? I said, I look for him every day. If he don't come today, he'll come tomorrow. If he don't come tomorrow, he's coming later. But I'm looking for him. I got my eye fixed. I'm looking for the Lord. How can I keep my eye fixed on something that for almost 1,900 years, nobody paid a lot of attention to it except a few weird people. It's because I got a seed. That seed in me reaches out and cries out to know the Father, to want to be with the Father. I'm not fit for this world anymore. I'm only here by God's grace. I've been rebirthed, born again. But I really fit meeting the Lord and being with the Lord. That fits me. Oh, that really fits. I don't get on the subject of what I don't think. It's just been two years ago that I went to be with the Lord. And I have to tell you that while I was there, I had rather stayed than come back. I had never felt anything like that in my life. I don't know for sure what I'm talking about, but I had to be with the Lord and I never felt anything like that in all my life. I felt so relieved. I think I felt a perfection in my being to the Christ that was in me. I think my creation and the Christ spirit came together as one. 
and I was ready to say that. But he said, go on back and finish the mess you started. Clean it up. <laughs> so that's what I'm doing here. But you know what? I'm looking for it. The seed within me cries out to be with the Father. That's a tender spot. I don't want to do anything, you or anybody else, that would hinder that relationship that I have with the Father now because it's so rich and real and so precious. You see, there's a little verse of Scripture that says, on the resurrection morning, when we see Him, we shall be like Him. And I'm going to tell you, we're just liable to all be angry. At the same time, that's the most joyous moment we have. We're liable to be angry. Because all of a sudden we're going to sense, my God, I could have been like this all the time on the earth. And I didn't know it. I didn't know it. But when we see him on the resurrection morning, we'll see everything God planned is ours and it's so taking place. One last thought. The seed in me is causing me to persevere in this life to the end. You see, far too many people give up. It's like the man who wrote the current book today who said 53,000 believers drop out of the Christian church every week. They give up. They don't have a message. They don't know which way to turn. They don't know what to do. The seed within me is causing me to persevere. So that every day in my walk, I come to a greater knowledge of Christ. A greater knowledge of who I am in Christ and how to make that work. I don't want to come down to the end and not have the proper expression. If I lay on a deathbed, I want to be looking for Jesus. I want to be looking for the Father. I want to see it in Philippians 3 the man who knew Christ better than anybody in the Bible in his dying moment just a few days before his head was chopped off said oh that I may know him he had built more churches preached more gospels than anyone in fact it covered the known world with the gospel but his last words were oh that I may know him I'd like to end it like that. And I'm frank to tell you, it isn't in me to do that. But it is in the seed. The seed that's in me perseveres. It'll carry you through to the end. So that in your dying breath, you can still cry. If I got another minute here in this pocket, I'd like to know. We'll stop right here. Boy, what a great lesson today from Warren Litzman. We hope you've enjoyed it. The Christ life is the result of salvation, the Christian life, earthly and heavenly. Because we live in our knowledge, understanding the transformation of salvation equips Christians to live their new life as new creations, as God's birth children. Learn more from our website, christ-life.org. Our thanks to Robbie Litzman for allowing us to go into the archives each week. Valerie Hill does our Twitter account. Tammy Laycock, she does our weekly podcast notes. And the program is produced weekly by Teresa Ferraro from the Christ Life Fellowship. 
Until next time, I'm Brad Wilson, Loving the Christ Life.